Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is a portion of the greatest sermon ever preached. It was preached by Jesus of Nazareth. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus preached this as he was beginning his public ministry. And we've been going Sunday morning, every Sunday, verse by verse, through the Sermon on the Mount in a sermon series entitled, Exceed. And you know, I, I was wondering, I, I wonder what it would have been like to have been there that day that Jesus preached that sermon. I, sometimes I do that. I kind of put myself into these stories and think, well, wonder what it would have been like if, if I were there. So this morning, I, I want you to imagine with me. Imagine that I, I had someone come to speak today who was there. So I did that. I invited a Jewish man by the name of Simeon Bar Yusef was there that day to come and tell us his story. Well, good morning. Good to be with you in 2023. I bring greetings from 26 AD. And you know, to be three years shy of 2,000 years old, I don't look bad, do I? I look a lot like your pastor, in fact. But anyway, I, I want to tell you my story today. Something interesting happened. Let me take you back. It was early fall of 26 A.D., and um, in fact, your, your gospel says it was the 15th year of Tiberius, his reign, and Tiberius was the emperor of Rome who was over my people. That was the 15th year of Tiberius. And a lot of things were not going well in my life at the time. Um, I was having trouble in my marriage. My brother and I hadn't spoken in years. A lot of anger 
and bitterness. A lot of resentment I had. And then on top of that, uh, well, paying bills is hard. It's hard to put food on the table. I had a lot of kids. And to be honest, just clothing my children was hard. And so I was very anxious, very worried, a lot on my mind. From what I understand, that's your generation as well. In fact, from what I understand, anxiety is at epidemic proportions in your culture. And the younger you are, the worse it is. From what I understand, millennials and Gen Zers, the most anxiety-filled generations your country's ever known. In fact, from what I hear, anxiety has now replaced depression as the greatest mental health challenge you'll face. So you know how I felt. So I told my wife I was getting away for the day. I was going over to the Sea of Galilee and do some fishing and, well, mostly just thinking. But I will admit, you know, those, those Galilean tilapia, they, they're pretty good. In fact, they, they catch the blues and the, even the red bellies they still catch out of there today. And So I was going to go and maybe fish for a while and just clear my mind. It was therapeutic for me and get all these worries off of my mind and catch a little fish and maybe bring them back for supper. So I just went over by myself. But this day was something different when I arrived. It was odd when I got to the Sea of Galilee there was a large crowd of people a great commotion going on on the northwestern shore I mean it's, it kind of begins there in the northwestern portion where it goes up an incline it was full of people and it goes all up the side and there was a man standing there speaking now I, I'm not used to crowds at the Sea of Galilee. That's why I go there. It's a few boats bobbing along out on the out on the water, and sometimes Capernaum would have an event and people there, but but nothing like there were hundreds, maybe a thousand people there that day. And so as I gathered to get together, I, I walked up and, and I saw the crowd. I thought, well, I'll go see what's happening. And so I walked up and stood at the edge, and I heard a man speaking, and I found out it was Jesus of Nazareth. I'd heard of him. But he was speaking with such power. Oh, I'd heard rabbis my whole life, and some of them were really good. Nothing like him. It seems like, it seems like every word he spoke that day was like God booming to us. And every eye was listening to him. And so when I, when I walked into the back of the crowd, he, he said one word that got my attention. In fact, that word's been on my mind ever since. Can't get it out of my mind. It's like it hit me right between the eyes. And the word he said was zateo. Well, that's my, that's my language. In your language, it would be translated seek, S-E-E. And I never got that word out of my mind. I'll, I'll tell you why. As I walked up, the very last thing that he said was what you talked about last Sunday morning. He was standing there and he said, No man can serve two masters. He will either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I was trying to do that, mammon's money. 
And so whenever he said that, it piqued my interest because I thought, that's exactly what I'm doing. And then the next words out of his mouth pierced me. I thought, how did he know? Does he know me? He paused for a moment, looked over the crowd, and I, I guarantee you he looked me in the eye. He looked directly in my direction. We made eye contact, and he said, why are you so anxious about life? And my heart dropped. It was like I was the only one in the crowd because the word he used for life was the word suke. It means soul. You get your word psychology from it. And so it was like he pulled up my soul and looked me right in the eye and dead stared into my soul when he said it. How did he know I was so anxious and anxiety-filled? The word he used for anxious was interesting. It's a word that means to weigh you down and something always on your mind weighing you down. That's exactly how I felt. Why are you so anxious, he asked, about your life, about what you'll eat, what you drink, what you wear? And then he paused for a moment, and he asked another question. He's good at asking questions, by the way. He asked eight of them, eight questions when I was just standing there in one passage, eight questions. And he asked me another one. He asked, isn't your life more than food, drink? And isn't your body more than just what you wear? Of course it is. So why are you so worried about all these things he's going to take care of? There's so much more to life. And he paused and stopped, looked up, and went, look. It was like it was an imperative. It was like he was commanding everybody there, look. And we all looked at every sky, went, every face went skyward, and we looked, and he said, it's a bird. And sure enough, we saw a bird fly over, and he said, do they worry? Are they worried about life, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat? Do you ever see birds worrying about planting seeds and, and, and reaping a harvest and putting it in a barn so they'll have food for tomorrow? No, you don't see that because they have a heavenly Father who will take care of them. I was pretty impressed. He just, on the spot, pointed out to a bird. and had such a powerful point about it. What do birds do? Well, they're being birds. They don't worry about anything except being birds, doing what God put birds on earth to do. And he kind of spoke to me. I should be worried about what he put me on earth to do, not about all those other things that cloud my mind. And then he asked another question. Aren't you more valuable than that thing? Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, we're, we're Imako Day. We're, we're created in his image. Of course we're more valuable than a simple, a simple bird flying across the face of the sky. Of course we are. I'm more valuable than a bird. So why wouldn't God take care of me? And then he asked a question almost comical. He, he asked us as we were standing there that day, hey, who of you, who of you can add one hour to his life by worrying about things? And he's right. It's kind of comical. I mean, you can't add if, okay, I'm going to worry more. I'm going to extend my life. No, whenever you worry, you cut short your life. You can't add one hour to your life by worrying about things. And then he asked, and why are you anxious about clothes, what you wear? And then he did something interesting. He pointed to a field right next to where we were sitting Filled full of beautiful lilies. Now, if you haven't been there in early fall every year in the Galilee region, there are beautiful lilies, kind of like your blue bonnets. They, they grow, they sprout up real fast, almost like overnight. We call them cap lilies. Sometimes they're called red turks. But they are so conspicuous. They're scarlet. They're beautiful. You can't help but notice them. I mean, you go out into a field of blue bonnets, of course you notice them. And, and you go into a field of red turks, you notice them. And, and they're over to the side, and Jesus pointed to them and says, Consider those lilies. And the word he used for consider, he never used anywhere else in the Bible means to roll something over in your mind. Think about those lilies. Are they worried? No. Look how beautiful they are. Did they worry to have to get how they are? No, they didn't worry about anything. And, and then he said something that caught my attention. He said, not even Solomon in his glory were as beautiful as those lilies. Now, I know Solomon. I studied him from the time I was a small child up because Solomon was our glory days. Solomon was the time in my people's history whenever things were beautiful and the temple was beautiful and his throne was gorgeous and his homes were beautiful and, and his robes were beautiful and there was so much splendor in all of Israel. Kings came and queen came. Queen of Sheba even came. They all come to look at our beauty. And those lilies were even more beautiful than the height of my people's history. And they didn't have to worry to get that way. You really made a good point. Now, much like your blue bonnets, just a few weeks is all that those, those red lilies last. And the Galilean sun comes up and it gets hot and they're scorched and they're gone. And so Jesus asks a good question. If God clothes these so beautifully and they're only here for a short time, a few weeks, how much will he clothe you when you're here for years? He was so good at pointing out nature and showing how God loves us more than nature. You know, those questions starting to get to me but then he said something that offended me couldn't believe he said it he said oh you of little faith literally it meant you small faith one what 
I'm Jewish. I'm not small faith. I have the greatest faith of all the nations around me. You know Jews. We are people of faith. We're known for our faith. I'm a man of faith. I am not a small faith one. The, the audacity he had to call me a Jew small faith. What? I got to thinking. The way I'm worrying, I'm not showing much faith. I mean, I'm anxiety filled. It's not showing much faith. Maybe I am a small faith one. Something he did I found interesting. Jesus connected faith and anxiety. And he said when you have one, more of one, you have less of the other. When you have more faith, you have less anxiety. When you have more anxiety, you have less faith. Maybe I am a small faith one. But then he said something else that offended me even more. He said, don't be anxious about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. The Gentiles act like that. And I thought, oh, he didn't go there, did he? He used the G word. Can you believe it? The Gentiles those are, the, those are godless. Those are dogs. Those are people God created just for the purpose of stoking the fires of hell. That's the only reason a Gentile's around. And he compared me and my faithlessness to a Gentile? What? And I was so angry when he did that. Gentiles are godless. I'm not godless. I worship Yahweh. He was appealing to my concept of God. But wait a minute, my thought, when I worry like a godless person, I'm acting like a godless person. When I live as if God can't take care of my problems, I'm thinking like a godless person. And rather than being offended, he was right. Maybe my worry says more about what I believe about God than anything else I do. Maybe. And then he used that word I can't get out of my mind, Zateo. And he looked at us that day and he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He was saying it's about priorities. If you put Jesus as priority, everything else is going to work. But if you put everything else as a priority, nothing's going to work. And I'll be honest, my priorities, <laughs> I'm Jewish, but they were out of whack. And then the last thing he said was, kind of smile pierced his lips and he said today's got enough anxiety of its own you don't add to it and he smiled and I turned and walked away but man what he said really impacted my heart
I didn't run across Jesus again for two more years. We just didn't cross paths, didn't see him again. Oh, he was in the region and I was too, but paths never crossed. But two years later, they did. Let me tell you about it. Two years later, in the spring, my family and I went down to Jerusalem to um, Passover. It's required of all Jewish families. And so we went down there for Passover, and we entered the city, and there was a, there was a commotion going on. Once again, a large crowd of people, but this time they were angry. And I saw them, and I thought, well, okay, the Romans probably did something to our people again. They probably deserve it. So I'm thinking, what's, what's going on? I didn't know, but the crowd was gathered, and there was anger. And so I come up to the edge of it, and, and there was Jesus in the middle of the crowd. And I thought, what's he doing in there? They seemed angry at him. And the crowd was whipped into a frenzy. And, and they're all marching a direction. And they're all going, crucify him, crucify him. And I thought, Jesus? Why? And the crowd was moving in the direction outside the city gate toward Golgotha. And I thought, that is the place of execution. Why would they be executing him? This didn't seem right. I mean, I, I've seen executions before, and a lot of them deserved it, but he, he didn't deserve it based on what I knew of him. But oh, the crowd was so angry. And sure enough, they pushed their way out to Golgotha, and the soldiers led him away to crucify him, and they took his hands and put spikes in them on both sides and then his feet and then his side. But it just didn't seem right. And they hung him on the cross, and I watched. And he was up there about six hours, and finally about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, sure enough, I was, I was watching, and I, I heard him say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then I saw his body slump. And I knew he was dead. But it still just didn't seem right. Immediately, as soon as he died, the entire crowd at the foot of the cross knew they had done something wrong. First, the Roman centurion who had nailed Jesus' hands and feet looked at him and said, surely this was the Son of God. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, just as he died, it was a bright sunny day. All of a sudden, the clouds rolled in and something covered the face of the sun where it looked like midnight. It was so eerie. It was almost as if nature was mourning his death. The same nature he'd referred to when I heard him speak. And then every one of us in the crowd, you can read about it in your Gospels, every one of us in the crowd began to beat our chests. In my culture, that's a way of of grieving and mourning. And the whole crowd got quiet and just began to beat our chest, saying, what have we done? What have we done? We all knew at that moment something wrong had happened. And so we all quietly left. For the next three days, there was this eerie pall over Jerusalem, the entire city. And every day it just seemed like Something was wrong. We couldn't put our finger on it. And then early Sunday morning, rumors began to circulate. 
Rumors began that women went to the tomb and his body was gone. And word began to go all throughout Jerusalem early Sunday morning. Have you heard? Have you heard? The ladies went to anoint his body and they, they got there and the stone was rolled away and his body's gone. And, and he, he resurrected. And just as soon as word began to fill the streets of Jerusalem, the authorities, they stepped in. No, 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 we don't want any of this. So they quickly put out a a, a document that said, everybody calm down, there has been no resurrection. Either one of two things happened. Either the ladies, distraught from the weekend and tired and and emotionally spent, they went to the wrong tomb. And it was an empty tomb, and they thought he's alive, but he's not. Or the disciples stole his body and going to tell everybody he resurrected. But calm down, everybody. He is still dead. But then <laughs> he showed up. <laughs> and he had prints in his hands. It's Jesus, no doubt. He's alive. A spear mark in his side and feet. No doubt, he was alive. Critics, critics didn't know what to say. And so I started walking through the streets of Jerusalem and I ran into two of the ladies that were at the tomb. It was Mary and the other Mary. Matthew records it. And I saw them and I said, tell me what happened. They said, early this morning, we went to the tomb. We were going to anoint his body because Passover, had, uh, the, the, the end of Sabbath had ended. And so we were going to anoint his body. And we got there. It was dawn. It was just about sunrise. It was still kind of dark. And we got there. And as soon as we entered the cemetery, an earthquake hit. Now, we have earthquakes all the time. We have tremors all the time. It's a very earthquake-prone region of the world. And so we had these tremors. And they said, we got there and a tremor hit and, and started to shake. And the, and the stone that was in front of the mouth of the, the tomb rolled over with the earthquake and it rolled over and it jammed into place and we looked and an angel was sitting on top of the stone. It looked like a man. It was an angel. And the guards, there were two Roman guards and they, just, they fainted. They just fell right over. I mean, they were, they were out smooth. And, and so Mary and I are looking and, and we can't say anything and we're frightened to death. And the angel is on top of the rock. And he looked like a lightning His clothes look like snow. And he spoke. Guess the first word he said. He said, Teo. The exact same word Jesus said. Seek. And the angel said, are you seeking Jesus? He's not here. Come look. We're going, no, no, we're good. Thanks. No, no, they, no, no. No, no, come here. Don't be afraid. Come here and look. And we walked over and we bent in and we saw nothing but grave clothes. The angel, see? He's alive. Go tell his disciples that he's going to meet you in Galilee. Later today, he'll meet you up there. See you there. So, I'm here to tell you today, there is something about, different about Jesus. From what I heard on the hillside from the Sermon on the Mount, and what I saw in Jerusalem from the empty tomb, my life changed when I met Jesus. 
Oh, by the way, just for the record, if you ever meet anybody who comes back from the dead, listen to what they say. (laughs) So maybe you need to consider the word that's haunted me. Seek. What are you seeking? Stuff. Life. Everything but Jesus. If you seek him first, everything else falls into place. But if you seek him last, nothing falls into place. So, the last thing I want to say is, If you are giving your best energy and passion of life to something other than Christ, you're going the wrong direction. I'll go back to 26 AD. See you later. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word that's It's powerful of the words Jesus spoke on the hillside that day. We need them, Lord. We're an anxiety-filled culture. And thank you, Father, for the exact same word being used in the tomb as Jesus used in the crowds. So, Father, help us to seek you first. God, I realize on this Easter Sunday there are people all over a congregation, some people here because it's Easter. They're not really faith-filled. But Lord, today I pray that we'll all change. I pray that today will be the day they put you first. They pray to receive you as Savior and Lord, accepting the risen Jesus as their Savior and their spiritual life beginning today. God, I'm sure there are other people here. They made a decision years ago, and they're believers, but, man, they've, they've walked away from you, and they're living their own life. So, God, today, would you, would you help them to recommit their lives to you? Or once again, you're the first priority, not other things. And then, Father, for those members of our church and those people who are here that that love you with all their heart, and you are first priority. God, would you bless them, take care of our needs, our food, our clothes, our bills, our lives, because we trust you. And now, Lord, whatever decision we need to make today to make it right with you, give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.